Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 155. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, week three of Women and Aliens Appreciation Month. And let me tell you folks, this week's aliens can't be flushed down a toilet, nor do they know how to ballroom dance. You can't clean them out of your cat's orifices with peroxide or win over their hearts by expediting their fetus gestation period. No siree. This week's aliens lay the smack down on your pansy ass, and then they eat your face. Oh, speaking of which, Drabble News. Check this. If you stop and think about it, what with all the issues and predicaments and problems out there in the world today, it's easy to become grumpy, pessimistic, disheartened and bitter, jaded, morose, and malcontented. The more you think about the maladies of the world today, the more they begin to weigh on you and pull you down, making you a hopeless cynic, a nattering negativist, a little candy-ass bitch. That's right, a little candy-ass bitch. Snap out of it, pansy. Stop focusing on the world today and get you some scope. This planet has been around for billions of years. Vicious, rugged, brutal, and terrifying years. Humanity totally lucked out. We managed to get our little slice of this timeshare smack in the middle of vacation season. Think about it. The real estate sucked big time before we rolled into town. Nothing but radioactive rock, molten lava, glacial ice, huge big ass things that would have been hunting us or squishing us. I mean, never in our entire history have there been fewer things trying to eat us than today. I think that's an important fact that a lot of us take for granted, you know? And so, to remind us, from ScienceDaily.com, Paleontologists have discovered a new species of large prehistoric crocodile, the Sarajanisuchus impromseru, unearthed in Colombia, along with the remains of the enormous monster snake that apparently killed and ate it. A, 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 a monster snake? Uh, we're, we're debating healthcare reform. We can't seem to agree on a practical approach. A little busy. <laughs> monster snake. <laughs> The Titana boa, and that is its real name, was a gigantic boa constrictor that lived 70 million years ago around where the Amazon is. It's the largest known snake to have ever slithered the earth. It was upwards of 45 feet long and weighed around one and a half tons, says paleontologist Jason Head of the University of Toronto. If a man were to stand next to the snake, he continues, the man would find the snake's back coming up all the way to his hip. Then the man would stop bitching about the parking ticket he can see on his windshield and run like hell. Fossil remains of the two reptiles were found side by side, and researchers say that it's likely that the large ancient crocodiles were regular prey to the snake. And by large ancient crocodiles, I mean C. improcero specifically. There's actually another type of prehistoric croc that <laughs> wouldn't be having none of that from Mr. Titanoboa. Enter the Dinosuchus, whose name in Greek means terrible crocodile. Dinosuchus grew upwards of 40 feet in length and weighed in at around 8 to 10 tons. This thing's skull alone was the size of a man complaining about high gas prices. Of the massive croc's diet, paleontologist Edwin H. Colbert says, Certainly Dinosuchus hunted and devoured dinosaurs with which it was contemporaneous. It was an opportunistic apex predator, possibly unmatched. How badass is that? 
Isn't it staggering to think that these things used to live on our planet? It's like finding out that Bruce Campbell used to sublet your apartment back in the 80s. Listen, I know credit card interest rates are absurd right now. I know content and copyright regulation is getting a little out of hand. I know we've got some issues with illegal immigration. I know the arts keep getting cut from schools and American cars aren't selling well and bed bug outbreaks are picking up and divorce rates are higher than ever and Native Americans are taking back South Dakota. I know Jar Jar Binks ruined Star Wars and Sofia Coppola ruined The Godfather and Glenn Beck is annoying and Tiger Woods is a sex addict and Lady Gaga's a hermaphrodite. That's a statement, not a fact. But I also know that the Amazon empties out into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> and that's, that's where the Megalodon, a 70-foot-long, 100-ton, hyper-carnivorous prehistoric shark might have fossils turn up sometime. Oh, it's five-foot-wide jaws overlapping a numerous amount of well-preserved dinocycus ribs that, while fragmented, still appear to almost curve parenthetically around several more unidentifiable skeletal remains, which are, of course, later recognized as the spinal vertebrae of a large titanoboa. All of them, except for one lone phalange, which, amazingly enough, turns out to belong to a new species of large prehistoric crocodile that apparently had it a whole hell of a lot worse than any of us do. And that's the news. It's Drabble time. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called Victory, and it comes to us from Conan Campbell. Conan is a U.S. Army civil affairs officer, currently in Haiti, trying to help out as best he can. The only thing he's ever had published was a picture of a Kurdish payphone in the back of a 2600 The Hacker's Quarterly, winter 2008. He's married to a lovely radio DJ, hairstylist, and amateur Egyptologist named Liz, and they have an awesome son named Gus. And his cat just had four kittens. Literally, just now. Oh God. Oh, sweet Yesu. Stan looked down at his empty, clenched fist, stunned. The music had stopped. Hecate the Greater, leader of the invading Kassith, was also looking down, and if his reptilian face could have displayed emotion, surely it would have shown disbelief too. Stan could almost hear the joyous shouts of people all across the planet, the pitiful remains of humanity, at his victory. Hecate, true to the warrior code of the Kassith, punched codes into his wrist communicator, initiating the death of his entire civilization. Still in disbelief, Stan watched the hot potato tumble free from the alien overlord's slackening grip. Oof, that was a close call, huh? I don't know about you, but I've got sweat running down my brow now. And cat placenta. Our feature story this week is called The Second Conquest of Earth by L.J. Daly. L.J. is an alum of the Viable Paradise Writers' Workshop and the University of Southern Maine's Stonecast MFA program in popular fiction. A self-professed serial obsessive, she has variously pursued martial arts, piano, theater, and role-playing games. A medical copy editor by day, she currently lives and works on the outskirts of Philadelphia with a giant Rottweiler who does no work at all. 
LJ resides in the web at sff.net forward slash people forward slash LJ daily. You'll find a link in our show notes. This story first appeared in Strange Horizons in October 2009. The story is read to you by Sarah Tolbert. Sarah lives in Colorado with her husband Jeremy and their two cats. This is her first time reading for the Drabblecast, but she's done readings in the past for Escape Pod, Podcastle, Pseudopod, and Fantasy. When she has the time, she likes to act on the stage as well. So, without further ado, The Second Conquest of Earth by L.J. Daly. I barely recall how it used to be, before the coup slashed open our sky, before their ships descended, battering the clouds with hurricanes and lightning. I remember the thunder and the majesty, and I remember the weeks of fire that followed, how the coup stormships blasted our armies to impotence, and how their landfall burned New Beijing, Toronto, Albuquerque. But before that, electricity and solar walkways, and lazy Sunday mornings spent nestled in bio-cocoon sheets that purred against us. After seven years, those memories are faded to dreams. They seem real only when a coos comes close enough to touch, as this one has. He sits across from me, a stone slab between us like a tabletop in what used to be a mausoleum, before thieves, human or coos, shattered the crypts. The coos's crocodile teeth are bloodied, flecked with gobbets of white and gray. The smell of his fresh meal ferments in the summer heat. That blood, that gristle, or someone's child. The coos eat their meat live. Before the image can ignite memory or panic, I force myself to examine the details of him. Observe, Cassandra. The old picnic bench creaks under his weight. Even for a coos, he is huge. The bumpy, loose skin at his throat is the pale green of spring leaves. It hasn't yet darkened to full green-brown or begun to swell and dangle, so he is younger than the bulls who rule here, but old enough to wear the purple chest blazon and whip of a drover. Brawn, not brains. A young tough. He's traveled far from the nest. Why? To visit me, of course, the only attraction in this human cemetery. A sham fortune teller. Ah, but he doesn't know I'm shamming, or I'd be dead, or braceleted. He thinks I'm a priest. The bulls left us our religions, not from kindness, as some pretend to themselves, but to keep us docile, to tranquilize with hope. My mother's brand of snake oil soothsaying passed the test thanks to years on the bestseller list. My con is a protected faith. That this coos hasn't killed me tells me he thinks I can read his future. I'll give him what he wants. I shuffle the cards and ask the standard opening question in guttural pigeon Kusklish. What's your name? A flash of green, a scrape of claw and stone, a slither of scales. Before I can react, his hand is squeezing my throat. His fingers are surprisingly cool, ropes of muscle, but his breath is hot and meaty, acidic. It stings my eyes. No questions, he grunts. I manage a hair of a nod. He lets go and settles back onto his bench. No questions, 
no give and take, no information to guide my deception. This will not end well, I realize. Without direction, anything I say will be wrong. So adapt, Cassandra, as you always do. Ask his questions for him. I give him a name, this coos who will kill me. Lord Jagged. Lord Jagged, why have you come? I shuffle the cards and consider. Because you have a problem. You're seeking your answers from a human, so you're desperate. If the coos knew about your problem, it would go badly for you. It must be a very big problem. I turn the first card. The butcher in a suit of blades. A smiling man in a blood-stained apron with a cleaver in his hand and ropes of sausages dangling from his neck like tumorous pearls. A double chin. A steaming soup pot behind him. A stolid card. Workaday trudging, a willingness to dirty the hands to feed the family. But a card on a table is a dead thing. Inert. The magic my mother developed manifests when the card is activated. I thumb it to stimulate memory receptors in the sensitive paint, and a tiny drama erupts from the card. Finger-tall people replaying a scene, a scene dredged from my past. My gaunt, solemn father, a packager in the passage house where the bioengineered, pain-free cattle were raised, then relieved of their borrowed lives. Gray-haired and craggy, he's crouching in our kitchen, turning the big knife this way and that while he talks to someone. I smell the smoky static in his white coat. Nanotextile. Biorepellent. He was on his way to work, I remember. The image lacks audio, but I don't need to hear to know what he's explaining. That the blade is sharp. Dangerous. I know it because his unseen listener is me. My seventh birthday. I wanted to show what a big girl I was, so I decided to cut my hair. Dado's stolen knife had been heavy, and my head, without all that hair, had become strangely, feverishly light. He loved me, my Dado. He never said a word about the mess I made of my hair, although Mother said plenty to me and to Dado. Ragged children don't sell books. The next day, Dado took me to the passage house and began to teach me how animals think. Lord Jagged seems fascinated by the projection. He stabs through it with a talon. A human bull, but old, he says. You sound curious. I'm careful to make it not a question. Old coos are cows. I know this. Listening to the grunting chatter of our coos overlords, we humans figured it out. In youth, Akus fertilizes eggs in the nest. When his strength is passed, his sex changes. She then spends years laying eggs into the nest and remains female until she dies. The slave-powered storm ship carried eggs. Lord Jagged hasn't yet fertilized his first eggs or his dewlap would have darkened. I wonder how young he is. The coos grow so much faster than we do. He's old enough to have seen men before, surely, since he's old enough to carry a whip. There are old man priests. I remind him. There are old man workers at the nest. You see old men every day. Not with knives, he says. The words glint. Danger. The knife isn't important. I lie. What's important in the card is the pot in the background. A soup pot. This card is called the cook. 
What does the cook mean? What have you told me, Lord Jagged? That he's willing to offer information to a human? That he's willing to question a human without using that whip at his belt? That he's had sufficient conversation with humans to understand some religion? Humans and Coos. Whatever his issue, it has to do with the fact that he doesn't see us as quite the animals the rest of the bulls do. Soup is a mixture, I tell him. The card means that things usually separated have become mixed together. Does it say what things have mixed? He doesn't ask simply what things. Why not? Because Lord Jagged already knows what things. And they're not merely his race and mine coexisting on this conquered earth. No. This is something personal. Something intimate. He's hiding. He's deceiving. I'm surprised. The Kush don't lie. They fight for dominance. They growl. They posture. But they smell, taste, and wrestle, too. They mark territory. And those make it hard to lie. The card says it's a secret, I say. That's why the soup pot's in the background. I need another card to see whether the secret's safe. I quickly turn a second card, another blade, the surgeon. Steel room, white lights, an androgynous figure swaddled in blue anti-infect cloth, squinting down at a patient's mountainous swell of belly. The navel is a painted eye among a web of purple markings, dashed lines and arrows, a map for incisions, in the surgeon's left hand is an upright scalpel. In the right hand, outstretched, three red wasps. Exploration. Hidden rot. Cancer. Tearing away layers, exposing malign motives. Excision. Poison. I thumb the card and bite back a scream when I see what image it tears from my memory. The deaner, the morgue assistant in a filthy hospital basement, with a one-handed grip on a monstrous curved saw longer than his forearm. A pruning saw. His free hand clutches someone's wrist on the steel table. The rest of the body is out of view. Those dead, stubby fingers. So familiar. The little scars in the meat of the thumb from an old rat bite. The nails chewed to the quick. The slave bracelet. The antique wedding ring that matched the one I'd traded the week before. My husband, Andrew, the day after his avoidable death. And why didn't you avoid it, Andrew, after everything else that happened? Lord Jagged watches me. The coos have a hundred kinds of stillness. The stillness of prey, the stillness of waiting. The long stillness of basking of relaxation when the sun warms and the mouth hangs open. Lord Jagged's mouth is tightly closed. When he finally speaks, his voice is a sandpaper rumble full of disgust. Oh, hope, you women say, courage. This man will allow his hand to be severed so the bracelet may be removed, but he will remain a slave. No coos would cut off a hand to steal false freedom. That's an action of animals, a fox in a trap. His disdain sharpens my response. 
He's not cutting the hand to get the bracelet off. He wasn't cutting the hand at all. Bitterness, even after three years, I thought the pain was buried with Andre. The diener, scarecrow thin, whispering, Cassandra, it's the only way. After what Andre did, the coos will burn down any hospital that treated him. They'll pay food for information. If we don't take it ourselves, somebody will sell us out. Please. He's already dead. I gave the diener permission to take Andre's head to the coos to prove his death, to trade it for supplies. Lord Jagged leans across the table. He presses a claw up into the soft flesh under my jaw. One claw, pinprick sharp, warning against my anger. The coos eat their meat live. Hot blood trickles down my neck. I lower my gaze. Lord Jagged settles back on his bench. Then why is he cutting it? He asks. What have you told me, Lord Jagged? You women say hope. Not cows, but women. So Lord Jagged has talked with a human woman, and not simply to give a brisk order to an animal slave. Clean that, or dig here. Jagged and his woman talked about hope. False freedom. Did they perhaps discuss escape? Human escape? Treason for a coos. Death for the woman, certainly. Something slow. Fire and entrails. He's holding the hand for comfort, not violence. It is a woman's hand. The card is the midwife. The shears are for the birth cord. See the swollen belly on the card? A midwife is a human who helps a human woman deliver their young. Oh, I know what a midwife is. He snaps. So the secret is safe. What about the woman? The woman is in danger, I tell him. These are surgical diagrams. Something's gone wrong for surgery to be required. Look at the eye where the navel should be. Hidden knowledge. And look how big the saw is. Enormous, much too big for just a birth cord. When the belly is cut, the knowledge will be laid bare. But what if the child is already born? A child already born? Whose child? When? I can't ask, can I? I can't dig. I can't question. I flip another card. The digger in the desert, kneeling in red dust over a shallow trench filled with half-buried animal bones. His blade is a scraper, applied to a draconic wing bone. Huddled over his excavation, he doesn't realize that his sunburned neck has blistered. Nearby a water bottle tipped over and empty. Behind him, a trail of footprints that lead across the vastness and over a distant red dune. Obsession. A narrow perspective, action taken too late. Oblivion with disastrous consequences. Denial. Looking downward while death impends unnoticed. I thought the cards could pull no more painful memory from me than the day I surrendered Andre's body to mutilation. I was wrong. The image that blossoms is a grave digger, in a filthy overall, streams of rain like veins on his scabrous skin. A shag of beard. Defeated eyes. He stabs his shovel into the dirt. Again. Again. Take my wedding ring, it's all I can give you. And he took it from me. And buried her. Our bright Holly. Fourteen, just a child. 
savaged by a coos drover who caught her out after curfew. Andre went after her and knifed the coos with its snout in her belly. Killed it, but not before its claws raked him from throat to hip, giving him the wounds that would fester and kill him too a scant week later. Growls Lord Jagged, interrupting my pain and should have dones. I can't do it anymore. I can't think so hard, so fast all the time, whipped by guilt and terror as I fumble for just the right lie. We humans who prided ourselves on dominance have been utterly dominated. We've lost our predator's innocence. I'm finished. I tell Lord Jagged the unadorned truth. My daughter was 10 when you came, just a child. This man you see, he buried her. If she'd lived, she'd be 17 now, a young woman, kissing young men, having fun, if these were human times. 17 is adult. It used to be. I'm too tired to bother looking away. Stillness. Then he surprises me with a truth of his own. We challenge our bulls at 14, or when their thinking becomes inflexible. Acid words, sour and sharp. He's considering a challenge, I realize. A young coos preparing for his run at rulership. He is 14, Lord Jagged. 14. But what has inspired his challenge? The woman, it must be the woman. No, not the woman. Her child. Lord Jagged mentioned a child already born. A child in danger from the bulls. What would a bull coos do with a human child? Eat him. No. Food humans are raised in the death houses in the next province. For Jagged to have been in contact with the woman, she must be local. A house slave, or a tradeswoman, or... One of the others, the ones who are held separately for implantation into the neural navigation systems of the storm ships. Nerves to wire, bone to metal. Yes, that's it. A child held for the storm ships. You love a child, I say, making the words gentle. And the child is going away. Whose hatchlings are reared separately from one another. I was raised with a human baby. Maya. The bull told me yesterday, Maya will be implanted in a storm ship. I will remain here in the province. This is his secret then. That he loves this little girl. He sounds upset, Lord Jagged. The coos subjugate, they implant, then they blast the storm ship skyward, launch technologies that burn whole cities to ash. The ships travel, the slaves die. The coos find new races, new slaves, new fuel. In the ship's wake, a thousand subject islands, the provinces of coos, like Earth is. It was inevitable for Earth that the coos would come. Dominance invites competition. What have you told me, Lord Jagged? The most tragic thing of all. You coos arrived only seven years ago. If you were raised with a human baby, 
You must have been an egg. You're not 14. My god. You're seven. Me at seven, with Dado's knife, everything was life or death, love or bright despair. Holly at seven, with her doll and her swing and her over-the-shoulder gap-toothed grin. Lord Jagged is a baby, for all his body is grown, but his mind has been altered by contact with us. What are you telling me, Lord Coos? That if one of you can be altered, more can be. That we can change you if you fight our terror. If we're thoughtful and watchful and clever. We can't challenge you, but we can change you. It will take time. The cards, I say. The cook, the midwife, the digger. You and Maya, the secret revealed. Your death. You're too young to challenge, my lord. If you fight the chief bull now, you'll be slaughtered, and Maya will be implanted anyway. But there's another way. What way? The words were quick and anxious, desperate. Steal Maya. Bring her here. I'll hide her, I'll lie and say she's my daughter. I'll teach her the cards. She'll be protected, a priestess. You can come as often as you want. Come every day if you want. I'll keep her safe for you. And you keep us safe from them. I can do it. I think. I think I can stand the pain. The memory of Holly. Of Andre. I can teach this girl to read the cards. While we make Lord Jagged human. I can get the word to others. The priests. The slaves, the ones who come here to worship. Let Earth become a backwater Coos province, unattended and unimportant while we study, while we spy, while we work our implanting, bone to metal, culture to culture. Maybe the Coos are right, and these cards aren't a sham. I imagine our future so clearly. Maya and Lord Jagged, seven years old, Eight. Twelve. My children. Just two of many on this Coos Earth. When Lord Jagged is fourteen, he'll win his challenge. Because I'll teach him how. You and I, Dado. You and I, Andrew. You and I, Holly. We'll teach Lord Jagged. We'll infect his Coosness with our humanity. Lord Jagged is looking at me. I wait in stillness for his answer. When it comes, it sounds so young. So young, my boy. I'll do it. I'm glad. There shouldn't be secrets between us, I say. What's your name? He tells me. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. I know I did. Love me some crocodile aliens. So, story feedback. A couple weeks ago, I ran a story by Tim Pratt called Morris and the Machine about relationships and time travel. 
This one got resounding applause and set a new record in our discussion forums for a number of posts in a story thread. Moon Owl said, So sad. I think this story is less about time travel and more about longing for youth, vigor, and the feeling of new romance. Compared to long-term relationships, which seem to be about paying your bills, doing taxes, and who's going to shovel the 20 inches of snow this time. I've been hitched for a while, and we're happy, but your spouse is never quite the fresh-faced teen that you first fell for. In truth, neither are you. It's not a bad thing, growing old together, but who wouldn't want to take a trip back? J.F. Marcini said, Morris, and probably most of the other ones time-traveling in different dimensions, don't live in their presence. They live in their pasts. They don't know that what they're missing in their lives is exactly what they can't see standing right next to them. And hardest of all, even if they could do what they long to do, which is in some way change their own past, I don't think that it would make them any less unhappy. We were then fortunate enough to have Tim Pratt himself drop by our forums and comment on the story. He said, I was inspired to write this story by a line in an Orson Scott card story called Prior Restraint. The story concerns a writer who once wrote a story about a man who's convinced his wife has left him, even though she's right there every night when he comes home. I started thinking about other husband-wife complications and wondered if it'd be possible to write a story about a man who cheats on his wife with his wife. So I sat down to figure out how and why somebody might do that. It wandered pretty far from the line in the card story, but I borrowed the name Morris. There's a minor character in prior restraint with that name, as a little homage. Nostalgia can be wonderful, or it can be poison. My favorite question goes back to Moon Owl, who asked, If we had the same machine, would it give us insight to make a better now, or would most of us end up like Morris? I'd like to think that I'd be spending most of my time in the Cretaceous period, front row and center for big snake crocodile battles, but yeah, who knows? Our forums are where it's at, people. Don't be a stranger. Time for the kick-ass donor of the week. Ray Young. Ray has a cool name, and she's a very fast and talented eater, always forced to linger in restaurants longer than she'd like because her friends suck at chewing. Ray can speak five words in Swahili, only one is a curse word, and she tends to overhug any pussycat she can get access to because she no longer has a cat of her own and really misses the hugging. Yeah, I know what you mean, Ray. I know it's not quite the same, but I'm still covered in feline afterbirth, and I'd be happy to give you a hug. Ugh, wipe off some of this amniotic fluid, at least. Thanks, Ray. You rock. You there at home, why not be awesome like Ray and chuck us a donation to help us pay authors for stories and keep this puppy sailing? It's a piece of cake. Go to Drabblecast.org and click one of the donation options. One-time deal or $5 a month automatic subscription. Either way, you'd be doing us a huge solid. Hey, 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 this week's 100-character Twitfic Twobble Story winner is... Dream Rock. And here it is. We're not alone, but we will wish we were. Knives slicing, they're coming. I'm not insane, I see them reflected in your eyes. Whoa, good stuff. Think you can write a cool story with only 100 characters? Give it a try. Post in our discussion forums under the TwitFix section. Maybe we'll post yours as the weekly winner in our Twitter feed and read it on the show. 
So I just started listening to Matthew Sanborn Smith's podcast, Beware the Hairy Mango, and I think a lot of you are going to like this thing. It's good flash written by Matt and just odd fun times in general. Here's the promo. Big sillies, this is Matthew Sanborn Smith telling you that my podcast, Beware the Hairy Mango, at BewareTheHairyMango.com is unquestionably more fun than a barrel of monkeys. And when you consider the feelings of the monkeys at the bottom of that barrel, I'm sure you'll agree. Each episode is a flash fiction story by me, along with my brilliant and unbalanced commentary. It's five minutes of downhill racing through Crazy Town, as you're about to taste. Hello, Mutumba's Spaghetti Barn? Son of a who cut your navel string? Woo! And when I say the length of a good bowel movement i'm talking minutes not inches but i use carter's all-weather chicken seasoning now there was a guy who needed a good spooning Ooh, i can't wait a giraffe walks into a bar and says the highballs are on me <sighs> we was able to build a cow that was 90 percent utter that's the donate button over there folks not an advertisement for italian singing sensation donate vampires are skillful drywallers if you're like me you'd better get to the emergency room immediately because i'm bleeding profusely you'll laugh you'll puke you'll blow out the candles that's beware the hairy mango at bewarethehairymango.com scraping the bottom of the barrel of monkeys Ew. good times so that's our show folks hope you have a smooth and easy carnivorous reptile free week Special thanks to this week's episode artist, Chelsea Reagan. For the second week in a row, Chelsea's a really cool chick and a fantastic artist, big into watercolors. Check out her stuff at chelseareagan.com. That'll be in our show notes. The Drabblecast is produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, just share it with your friends and your neighbors and your mild acquaintances. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to get rid of that potato. The waitress turns chairs upside down. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts last round. An hour ago, this place was loaded. A noise filled the room like the smoke. Laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all slurred when spoke.